0: So, Isaiah 42, verses 1 to 9 say this Here is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out, or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick. He will not snuff out. In faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth. In his law, the islands will put their hope. This is what God the Lord says. He who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and all that comes of it, who gives breath to its people. And life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. To open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison. And to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place, and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. So shall we pray? God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you use it to speak to us, that it is living and active. And I pray that now as we spend time thinking about this passage together, you would speak to each one of us. Um, Whether we're in the building, watching at home, catching up after, I pray that this would be a moment that we can reflect on you and that you can come close and speak to us. Amen. So... Um, I wonder, who is a fan of the TV show A Question of Sport? Any hands? Anyone know? It's not on anymore, right? Or is it? I don't know. Is it still on? Okay. But some people not okay. We're getting some not a fan of it now, but used to be a fan of it. Well, I was a fan of it, right? Um, As a teenager, I used to absolutely love it. Um, Despite not having any interest really in sport whatsoever and definitely having absolutely zero knowledge of sport, um, it was still just quite a fun watch with the family, Um, full of quizzes, silly games, good presenting. Um, It was very easy to watch Um, and one of the challenges that they would do on that show was um, mystery guests Don't know whether you know what I'm talking about, Um, but basically they'd have a famous sports star, they would show a video reel of this sports star, um, and they would give you glimpses of them getting ready or going somewhere, and you wouldn't see their face, right? But dropped in the video along the way would be clues to help you work out who that person was. Now, obviously, um, I was absolutely useless, and never, I don't think I ever once would be able to work out in a million years who the person was, Um, but For people like the presenters or uh, my dad, my brother, anyone that has slightly more sporting knowledge than me, um, the clues did often make guessing the person possible. And um, bit by bit, aspects of the person's character, their job and their identity were revealed. And today we are starting a new sermon series um, going through uh, part of the book of Isaiah And in particular, um, we're going to be working our way through some of the passages known as the servant songs. Um, And they are found in the second half of Isaiah, um, and they're a collection of prophecies that point towards Jesus. Now, it's easy for us um, to read them from our position in history um, and see how clearly they point to Jesus. But at the time, I think it's important to remember that these servant songs simply pointed towards a mystery character named the servant. And so song by song, they begin to reveal aspects of his identity, of his character, of his mission. A little bit like that um, mystery guest game. Piece by piece, um, we get clues to give a bigger picture of the person and the purpose of Jesus. Now, some people have described these passages like a mountain range, with each peak being beautiful in its own right, describing different facets of Jesus, his character and his mission. But it's only when we view them together as a block that his full majesty, the fullness of his nature, is revealed. And um, so today we are, this reading that we've read today is the first of these servant songs. Um, and it's really rich. There's so much in there, so many details that we could look at. Um, but today I want us to focus simply on two things that this passage draws out. Um, firstly, the mission of the servant, what he came to do, and secondly, the way he would go about it. Now, before we go um, much further, I think it's important that we think about the context of this passage. So, as we've mentioned, it's a prophetic um, passage. It's a message about God's rescue plan through Jesus. Um, But it's useful to consider exactly who this message was written for and given to. Now, um, Isaiah was a prophet, and he lived in Jerusalem um, in the latter half of Israel's kingdom period, um, and his job was basically to speak to the leaders of Jerusalem and Judah at the time. And the message, his message that we read is in Isaiah, is one of both judgment and hope for Jerusalem So in the first half of Isaiah, chapters 1 to 39, we read this message of judgment for God's people. So Isaiah accused Israel's leaders of rebellion against God um, and said that basically through Assyria and then ultimately Babylon, um, Israel's kingdom was soon going to come crashing down around them. And now, for centuries, Israel had been God's chosen people. Um, it was through his covenant with them that he'd promised to make a way for all of mankind to be restored in their broken relationship with him. So he'd rescued them, you'll probably know this, but you know, he, just to recap, he rescued them out of uh, slavery in Egypt, um, he led them through the wilderness into Canaan, and then um, here they became this great nation. Um, they had many military victories, lots of years of success, um, some defeats too, uh, under various different kings and generals that kind of oversaw. Um, and But during this time, the people had kind of strayed from God's covenant. They'd broken the commitments that they'd made to him. Um, and so despite various prophets that we read um, in the Bible calling them back, they, they failed, ev- effectively, they failed. Um, and so eventually, just as Isaiah had foretold in the first half of Isaiah, um, the Babylonians defeated them. They tore down the temple... Uh, They plundered their treasure and they completely destroyed their livelihoods. It was like utter devastation um, of the political, social, economic, and even religious community um, that God's people had known for centuries. And not only that, but at this point, Israel had clearly failed in uh, their commitments to God. And so the hope that they'd had that God would one day restore his relationship with them um, had also kind of been dashed and gone. And so the second half of Isaiah, um, chapters 40 to 48, are the words of hope for this devastating situation. Okay, so the hope was for a purified new Jerusalem where nations would be restored through a new messianic king. So we're now in the second half of Isaiah, and um, the perspective of the prophet in these passages is that of somebody living after exile, so in the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. Um, now we know that Isaiah died before this, so there's, people have wondered for a while, kind of who is the author of these scriptures, right? And basically, um, the idea that seems most popular is that, um, and you find this in earlier passages of Isaiah, is that basically when Isaiah gave his message of judgment to the leaders and they ignored him, uh, he wrote them all down on scrolls and he wrote down this message of hope that God had also given him and he gave them to his disciples, his followers. Um, and he basically gave them to them in order to pass them on to others. And so Isaiah died, ultimately, waiting to see his prophecy fulfilled. Um, but the disi- his disciples, his followers, had um, held onto these scrolls. And so we zoom forward to kind of after the exile is over, and Israel's, uh, Isaiah's disciples open up these scrolls. And they start to apply the words of hope to their own day. Now, so it's in that context, Isaiah's disciples have opened up these scrolls, that these words of hope that we've read today, these servant songs, um, are from. Okay, it's here that we find the servant songs which prophesy to God's rescue plan. So that's just a bit of background of like where we're at um, with the servant songs. We're in a bit of a place of destruction and devastation, a lot of loss of hope. And um, these are words of hope written uh, for the people in Israel. And so, as I mentioned, I want to consider two key things that we see in the first of these servant songs. Um, and firstly, that's the mission that the servant was going to fulfill. So if we read... The beginning few verses it says here is my servant whom I uphold my chosen one in whom I delight I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations so the servant's mission was to bring justice to the nations and bring back what had been lost now, in order to kind of grasp the reality of this mission, I think we first have to understand that God's view of justice isn't the same as ours. So I want you to imagine for a second um, that one night a thief broke into your house and stole something precious to you. I don't know what it would be. It might be a painting or some jewelry, um, a pet, or even a child, okay, And you get a phone call from the police, and they say, we found the thief, we've caught them, they're in custody, we're going to send them uh, to be tried, justice can be served. What is the question that you would want to ask? Did you find my painting? Is my dog okay? Can I hug my child again? If the answer returned, no, sorry, we haven't found them, or they've been harmed or destroyed. I wonder whether the thief being caught would actually feel like justice. So this is our like concept of legal justice, and obviously it is right to pursue justice, and um, it is something that we should uphold and strive for. Um, but it's not a complete sense of justice. It can never truly make right what was wrong and actually restore or bring back what was lost. And the biblical concept of justice is so much greater than our understanding because it's a transformative and redemptive justice. When Jesus came to earth as Emmanuel, God with us, he came to carry this divine justice. He came to restore to God the Father all that had been stolen by sin, right? So God had created this perfect world full of goodness and potential with humans in his image to be his partners. So he'd appointed humans to work alongside him to bring more and more goodness out of the potential in the world. But we read in the Bible that humans rebel, that they don't want to be in this partnership and that they try to live in the world according to their own terms. And the Bible clearly explains that it's this broken partnership between God and his people as a result of sin, of turning away, which is the source of all brokenness in the world. And it's not just one or two people that have turned away from God, but the Bible says that all people have sinned and turned away from this partnership in some way. And so like us desperately wanting a precious item that has been stolen back, God wants his children back, back in his image, in partnership with him, the way that he created them to be, perfect and close and working together. So this passage firstly tells us that Jesus came to the earth with a mission to bring justice to the nations, this redemptive, restorative, transformative justice. And it goes on in verse 4 to say, he will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth. Jesus will not stop until that justice is seen. And so the second thing I wanted us to draw out of this passage was how. How does Jesus go about this mission? How would he bring this restorative justice to the nations? And we read the answers to that in verses 2 to 4. So it says, He will not shout or cry out. Or raise a voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. And a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth. In his law the islands will put their hope. Now, summer is drawing in, and with that, we get all these lighter evenings. And um, I wonder if anyone is a fan of a fire, of a fire pit or a chimney air, anything outdoors, or perhaps you have a fire um, in your house. And I wonder if you've ever tried to relight a fading fire. Okay, Um, my family are notorious for having different. Fire tactics, let's just say that. Um, I won't, won't name and shame, but uh, there's a certain person in my family who will just throw all the wood on the fire and hope that it burns. Um, and uh, clearly it doesn't. Um, so when you've got a fading fire, you have to treat it gently, right? You have to blow slowly to put the oxygen back around the fire. You work carefully to reignite the embers. If you just throw a load of wood on and leave it on its own, a fading fire will suffocate and burn out. But if you take care with it, if you have patience, if you place the sticks carefully, if you kneel down to its level, if you blow gently, then you have a much better chance of seeing the flames burn again. And it's not a very glamorous job, is it? knelt down by the fireplace or outside by a fire, crouched down on the floor, dirty knees, ash on your face, smoke in your eyes. But it works. Now, as we mentioned, Israel, when they received this message of hope, were a bruised reed and a smoldering wick. So their experiences and their history had just led them to downfall. They were downtrodden, they were discouraged, They felt left behind by God. They felt forgotten and ignored. In discouragement, the Bible says that they turned to earthly powers and idols, to kings, to try and lift their spirits. But this passage tells us that God hadn't forgotten them. That he hadn't ignored them. That he was about to get down on their level, get his hands and feet dirty. And in fact become the bruised reed and the smouldering wick himself in order to reignite the image of God in his people. So in the same way that the Israelites needed Jesus, we are all in need of Jesus. In the same way that they couldn't perfectly follow the ways of God, we too can't meet his holy standards. In the same way that they had wandered from God and turned to lifeless idols, we also turn away from God and place our hope and our trust in earthly things. In the same way that the Israelites felt forgotten and discouraged, we too can feel forgotten and discouraged. It doesn't take much looking around our world, does it, today, to start to feel helpless a little bit lost, or to start to question where God is. But in the same way that the servant came to bring hope for the Israelites, Jesus came to bring hope to each one of us. He came to open our eyes, to set us free from the sin that holds us captive, and to lead us into the light as we follow him. One broken reed, one smouldering wick, one person at a time each of us can be the recipients of God's restorative justice each one of us is a bruised reed or a smoldering wick in need of gentle loving restorative justice to see the image of God recreated in us And the wonderful news of the rest of scripture, the end of Isaiah, the rest of the Bible, is that once we have received this restoration from God, we get to partner with him again um, in his plan for recreating the earth. Day by day, we get to help him bring out the goodness and the potential in the earth, just as he intended it to be. So to close, I just want to quickly look at one more passage. And this is actually found in Matthew chapter 12. Um, And here we read um, about Jesus' encounter with a man who had a crippled hand. So for those of you flicking, we're flicking to Matthew 12, uh, verses 13. And uh, that is on page 977 of the Church Bibles. So Jesus meets this um, man with a crippled hand and he says to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. Many followed him and he healed all their sick, warning them not to tell anyone who he was. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Till he leads justice to victory in the name of In his name, the nations will put their hope. Bringing perfect justice and restoring what was lost looks different for each of us. It looked different for each of the people that Jesus met um, that we read about in the Bible. But we know two things from this passage, that it's Jesus' mission to bring justice to all the nations. And that as he does this, he's always gentle and he's always kind. In our Isaiah passage, it says, This is what God the Lord says, He who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and all that comes of it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. The God who stretched out the heavens and created the earth had a crippled man stretch out his arm in a redemptive act of grace. And it's that God that lives in and works in us. And I believe that he wants to do restorative acts of justice to take us back to the people that he made us to be for us and for the people that we love. He wants to open the eyes that are blind to free captives from prison. That is what he came here with a mission to do. And I'd love us now just to take a minute to reflect on that for ourselves. So maybe just close your eyes to stop us getting distracted. And have a think. What stands out to you today? What might God be saying Perhaps you feel like you've never actually said yes to following God's ways. Maybe, um, maybe you are like the Israelites who have kind of walked away and put their hope in other things, and this morning God wants to give you the opportunity to turn back to him. Maybe you are like the Israelites and feel hopeless, despairing, feeling a little bit forgotten by God. And then I pray right now that you can give that situation to God and that God can restore hope in you. Maybe you long for physical or emotional healing, restoration of broken relationships, for you or for people that you love. I wonder if that's what God wants to do this morning.